Before we get started with this week's episode, just a reminder that we will be running our first ever live show this November at Glebe Town Hall in Sydney. Head to earlyeducationshow.com forward slash live to find out more and book tickets. We'd love to see you there. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 51. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. She's back! Did you record her voice? I'm so excited to be back and I'm back on probation on the show and hopefully I won't get voted off. It'll be okay. What do you reckon, Liam? I think think you'll get a rose at the end of the episode, Leanne. So exciting. (laughs) Thank you. I did. I mean, I was away, but I missed you. I haven't been away quite this long. There have been other other factors that uh, have prevented uh, my engagement. But um, over the weeks, I'm I'm excited that I'm going to tell you more about the the interesting things that I saw when I was not on the early education show. Oh, I'd love to hear them. There are interesting mm. things that happen that are not on the early education show. I'm a bit confused, but we'll, we'll have to we'll have to hear <laughs> about that later. Perhaps things that I the, the ideas and the thinking and what I observed uh, in places where the early education show has not traditionally gone. Oh no! You mean you didn't take us to the rest of the world? In my heart, I did. (laughs) I suppose we'll just have to accept that. Um, We're there every minute. (laughs) So we've got a pretty exciting episode tonight. We are going to uh, skip the news list this time. I think the problem is we've left us so long now, there's now too much of a backlog. So we're probably not going to do it for the rest of the year. But um, Lisa, why don't you introduce the the main topic for tonight? Because you did all the, the legwork to get it set up. Okay, we've got an interview with the new Shadow Minister for Early Education and Care. Is that her correct title? I think Early Childhood Education and Development, I think. Early Childhood Education and Development, Amanda Rishworth. And Amanda's um, agreed to come on the show, even though she's only been in the portfolio for a week, she's agreed to come in on on the show. So we're really excited about interviewing her and seeing, you know, what, what the opposition has got in mind for early education now that Kate Ellis has um, uh, gone off to, you know, have a life rather than be a politician. Sad. Yeah, they're big, uh, big shoes to fill. For Amanda, but yeah, um, I'm sure she's capable now. So we'll be crossing to that interview in just a minute. Um, what we're going to do is that Leanne and Lisa will handle the interview. We didn't think it was probably fair, given uh, the poor shadow minister has only been in the job for about a week, to have three crazy early childhood people uh, firing questions at her. So I'm looking forward so we'll to just be the girls. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm looking forward to having a bit of a break and resting my voice. So uh, stay with us for just a, a quick musical interlude, and we'll be back with the shadow minister for early. Education and Development, Amanda Rishworth. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us today. We're really excited both that you've taken up the position of Shadow Minister and also that you've agreed to join us on the Early Education Show. Um, Well, 
it's great to be with you and I'm really, really looking forward to the, the portfolio. It's a, I think obviously as you know, it's a really exciting portfolio but um, also really pleased to be with you. That's great. So can you tell us about yourself? I think I just heard that um, you're only like something like 39 years old, just a baby. <laughs> Is that right? Yes, um, I, I actually got elected to Parliament relatively young. I was 29 when I was elected in the 2007 election. Um, so, yes, I've had it's coming up to 10 years in Parliament. I feel like I've aged a little bit during that time, but um, <laughs> it's been a, a really exciting ride. Um, I've, I've really loved, I love my role as both a local Member of Parliament, um, but also I've taken on some um, parliamentary secretary roles at the end of Labor's government in environment and disabilities. And then in um, in opposition, I've taken on roles, including assistant, uh, shadow assistant education, and now in my role as shadow minister for veterans affairs, but also early childhood uh, education and development. So it's been a big ride. Um, yeah, it's been So it's does been early childhood put you in the shadow cabinet? Is that... Well, well, it's up to the. It's actually up to the um, uh, the leader, and the leader decided that um, both early childhood education and development and veterans affairs needed to be, I think, elevated to the shadow cabinet level. Obviously, Kate Ellis, my predecessor, um, was also in shadow cabinet, but historically, it hasn't always been in in shadow cabinet. And I think it's um, a symbol of the fact of just how important this portfolio is becoming. Cool. And you're from Adelaide, is that right? Where is your seat? Well, my seat is the seat of Kingston, which is in the southern suburbs of Adelaide. I always like to brag it's got 31 kilometres of beach, so it's a, a lovely place to, to visit. Um, but it's a real, I mean, it's a real uh, suburb of ordinary working families, um, you know, working hard, um, wanting good education, good health care. And so my job's been to to represent them. Um, previous I was, previous to this, I, uh, my job as a parliamentarian, I was a psychologist. So um, there's lots of jokes about how often I, <laughs> I use that in parliament. A lot. Some jokes, yeah. Some jokes that I've um, diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder one too many times in parliament. <laughs> but I would never do that because I'm non-practising. So... Um, <laughs> I can but, imagine... Yeah. A lot of candidates in that field. <laughs> well, I couldn't possibly comment, but you know, every now and again, you know, I sort of see see some elements time to time. So, <laughs> but no, so it's a beautiful place in Adelaide and and um, out of metropolitan area. And so, um, um, I really, I was the, the hospital that services the area is Flinders Medical Centre, and I was actually born there. So I haven't moved too far during my <laughs> during my life. <laughs> okay, so now you've hit the big time and you, you've become Shadow <laughs> Minister for Early Education and Care. What, you know, given that you've been in your portfolio all of what, a week now? Um, yeah, a week. <laughs> what, what do you think are the big issues for the sector? Well, look, I think there's a, a number of big issues, and I guess I don't come to this portfolio completely. Um, uh, not engaged. I've been engaged um, in the area of early childhood for for some time, um, and I have a two and a half year old who's um, an avid uh, attender. Oh no! Of the... They've given it to a chick with a yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, and who's an active participant of a mother's group. So, um, so I can tell you um, there's uh, a lot of uh, conversations that we have and uh, obviously with the dads as well, but I particularly um, our sort of mother's group has uh, been a big conversation. So, so, look, I think there's a number of issues affecting um, the sector. I mean... Obviously, what parents talk about is uh, a number of issues. One is affordability, of course, you know, managing to actually pay the, the, the fees. But a lot of mums and dads are talking or have spoken to me about, you know, wanting to make sure that their young children get the best possible start in life. And so I think it's it's balancing and making sure that we're looking at um, ensuring that there is quality and early education is exactly that. It's not just babysitting. It is about early education and, and valuing that, I think, is, is a really important part of it. I think, obviously, cost and how we best support parents is another issue um, facing the sector. And then I, I think accessibility is uh, another issue. You hear some, some early education um, centres don't, don't actually have big wait lists and others have huge wait lists where people are waiting for a very long time. So I, I do at times see a real mismatch to, you know, access, um, which is an issue as well. So I think um, there are some of the issues um, that I've spoken with, with a lot of parents about. So, I mean, obviously there's many, many things um, and, um, you know, that I, I'm still to get my head around as well. And certainly from that national perspective as well, it's it's really important. But there are some of the issues that, you know, people have, you know, I've been aware of and people have spoken to me about. So, Amanda, last election, Labor went to uh, the election with a platform for early childhood education and care and hopefully... You've had an opportunity to look at that, um, and it, look, it was a, it was an okay platform. It was it was decent, but um, it probably wasn't awe inspiring. It probably was was decent because it was in comparison to the current um, the current situation. But will Labor take that same platform back to the next election, or have you got some surprises? Well, as you as you know, um, the Liberal Party has. Um, made some reforms um, while in government. We certainly have seen some big holes in those reforms. So I, I think the area has moved on and I'll be reviewing those policies to see, you know, which ones are still current and which ones we can build on. But I think um, in the last couple of years we have seen some, some changes. Um, there have been some good, there's been some not so good. And so I'll certainly be... That will be obviously the backdrop... Um, you know, the government's policy will be put in on the 1st of um, July 2018. We, you know, I don't expect there'll be election. You never can tell uh, <laughs> with these things, though. Um, but I'm not expecting to, to be an election. So we really need to have a good look at who's missing out. Is it working? Is it doing what it said it would do? I have a lot of scepticism about that. Um, but I think What's we need to... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> well, it, all of us on, on this podcast have been very, very sceptical about the Jobs mm. for Families package. And I guess I'm, I might just sort of move one of my questions up a little bit to move it forward, if that's okay, Lisa. But yeah. that, that's one thing that we were kind of 
curious about, do you think that um, you would persist with the Jobs for Families? And and there, there are a lot of children that are actually going to miss out as a result of the Jobs for Families package. And we're sort of wondering, what would you do to make sure they didn't slip through the cracks? Well, you're, you're absolutely right in the sense that um, what we saw with the, you know, and I'll, I'll use reform loosely, was really a focus on... Um, a focus on participation in the workplace. Um, and, and that was what the, the government really caged this policy. And we, we know, of course, a lot of families require early education and childcare services so they can go back to work. I mean, that's partly why I use childcare services, but we also know it's so much more than that. And um, the government has now limited uh, the subsody, I guess, to uh, only 12 hours if you don't make the meet the participation requirements, and um, that is that will. Um, and we're still trying to get the figures on this, and it's it was un, it's been unclear. Different numbers have been sort of um, put around during Senate estimates and other things, but we know that it was either one in four, one in three children uh, or families actually will be worse off as a result of this package. So. Um, I, you know, I am very, very concerned about that, especially with the, I think it, it comes back to those principles of talking about early education, not just childcare. And I think um, I yes. would certainly, yes, I feel very passionately about that, <laughs> uh, especially when my child comes back uh, from uh, what we call school. And when he comes, what did you learn at school? And he's always done something, he's always, always learned something new. But um, I think... We, we will have to really um, have a look at that and look at those who are worse off and, and what that means. So I can't unfortunately announce any um, policy here tonight. I, as you mentioned, I've only been in the job uh, one week, but certainly as Just I work... Just not trying. For... Come on, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, look, as we move forward, I think, I think there are real gaps. I mean, there's gaps in other areas as well. Um, and I think... Um, the other big question is: Is this is this package really going to um, unburden families of some of those exorbitant costs no. that they are feeling? <laughs> oh, come on, yes. no, we'll tell you no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's right. <laughs> well, for a lot of families, it's it's you know, as you said, it's just not going to stop those rise in in childcare fees that they're seeing, which wages are just not keeping up with. So. I, I think there's a lot of um, criticism. Um, obviously, we're going to work through that, but um, um, we've certainly been very concerned about the package and um, we'll consider uh, give it due, uh, due critical evaluation, let's say. That's, that's great. And we'll, we'll definitely keep you to that so you can um, – we'll be the mozzie buzzing around. Um, buzzing around <laughs> Excellent. To get that in. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, the savings on this uh, – Jobs for Families lines up with the kind of savings on power bills and all those sorts of things. They're infinitesimal. <laughs> that very bad word that I'm trying to say there. They're so minor that really they would, they're not going to make a difference at all. So um, we'll be keen to hear what uh, you're thinking in the future. So in, you did mention, uh, you know, other children that are missing out and, and uh, one focus for us has been the budget-based services and they've come off very poorly in the last round of policy changes. Do you have any thinking on, you know, what Labor would do in terms of uh, Aboriginal children and early childhood education? 
Look, um, at the moment, that's, I guess, a very new area I'm getting my head around. But what we do know, obviously, is that um, in the late late deal um, made by the crossbench and the Liberal Party to get this through, um, some of the concept was preserved, but we don't know how it's playing out and we don't know what impact it's going to have on the ground. And in my electorate, and this is not necessarily... Um, for Aboriginal services to start off with, but I actually have services that have been funded for 15 years helping very disadvantaged children, some Indigenous children, but but a broader group of disadvantaged children that are, are struggling for their funding now. They, they are unsure about the future. So certainly in my personal experience talking to those um, budget-based funded uh, programs, they are very, very concerned and their certainty isn't clear. So when it comes to Indigenous um, mobile services and the other services, I think we've got to be really clear that we cannot let these, these services go. Otherwise, we just will not meet the closing the gap targets um, of improving early education services for young for for Indigenous children. And if they're not prepared to go into preschool, uh, which is often what these early education services do, then they're not going to do well and they're not going to meet the closing the gap targets throughout, you know, throughout the area, uh, throughout all those milestones. So I think we really do have to look at those. Um, but the budget-based um, funded services were actually, I, I didn't realise until I'd started hearing directly from services, they're actually quite a broad range of services that actually support disadvantaged communities and um, have been doing it for a very, very long time. So um, at the moment, I think their future is unclear and I will certainly follow, I have followed that up with the Minister and kept, will keep doing so. Oh, fantastic. That's mm -hmm. great. We love to hear that. So... Uh, Amanda, 91% of the sector is female. Um, that's as high as 96% in long day care. What do you think the impact of this is? Well, look, I think um, obviously one of the issues that I know um, a lot of uh, early childhood workers um, have said to me is that they don't necessarily feel that the work that they do is valued as much as it could be, and that that is pretty typical, I think, for many um, predominantly female-based occupations. So certainly, um, um, you know, when I speak to those workers that work with my son, they always sort of say, you know, they always sort of feel like they have to justify um, the hard work that they do and the professional work that they do. And I sort of say, don't have to explain that to me. So I think I think that is a challenge is really um, seeing, you know, and, and women often uh, or women based, you know, or predominantly um, workforces don't talk up um, their real professionalism. And uh, but I think we've got to do that in the early childhood sector. For sure. I think that's absolutely true. Do you have any plans for supporting increases to wages given the gender pay imbalance? Well, certainly um, Labor has a, look at a long history of supporting um, the fair work uh, the fair work case uh, in terms of um, you know fair, the fair work commission, the independent umpire properly looking at um, the wages of early childhood workers. Um, of course, what uh, th this happened in the community sector uh, area as well, and um, that case proved to um, 
demonstrate that women's work in this area, uh, in the community sector area, was undervalued. And, and as a result, we saw um, uh, increases in, in wages. So certainly I'm very supportive of making sure that the Fair Work Commission uh, does properly hear the case for early childhood workers. And, and I think... Um, I think also, so I think that's really important, that pay is a really important element of that, but also us really respecting the workforce and, and you know, in our conversations, making sure that that's really clear as well is around the status as well, I think. so. But pay is obviously a key part of it and Labor's sort of been very clear and I've certainly been clear that we support the Fair Work Commission actually hearing the case. For sure. That's great. Okay. One of um, the things that we're all, the three of us are very passionate about is the importance of professional development to the sector. Mm -hmm. um, now, this is probably something that you haven't learnt in your whole week in the sector, but um, the current government have removed all funded professional development for the sector. I think it was Scott Morrison that first of all started to say, you know, why are we providing professional development to this sector? Every other industry has to fund their own. But, of course, it's tied into this sector to the wages and the paucity of wages. Do you um, – will you restore a professional development program uh, once you're back in power? Well, look um – I learned about this today, actually. Um, so oh, it's um, very timely. something. I, I, it was very timely. I had. I ended up um, learning about the cut today. So um, I, I can't necessarily give you a policy commitment, but what I can say is that um, I, I didn't. I also have sat on a governing council, or not a governing council, sorry, a, a board of a community-based childcare centre, and I know from that experience. Um, you know, there isn't a lot of money to go around to pay for professional development, yet those working in the sector desperately yearn it. And I think um, what I saw from that experience when, um, as, as the sort of community board, we were able to send people off for professional development, they were able to come back and just cross-pollinate and reinvigorate the whole centre. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I absolutely have seen the value of professional development um, yeah. in the childcare setting, absolutely. But also I, I do understand for a lot of centres they cannot afford to just do that themselves, especially some of those community-based childcare centres that, um, you know, they run one, maybe well, often just one or two um, centres, the parent parents slash staff board, in, you know, interested community member boards. They just try and keep fees as low as possible and at the same time, you know, really want to make sure that they are properly, you know, have proper numbers, ratios on the ground. So I, I guess I'm saying that I really understand the benefit and I've seen firsthand the benefit uh, it can go through. The reason why I can't promise anything specific is all these things have to go through a central, um, you know, as we develop our election um, policies and commitments, we definitely have to go through a, a, a quite a large process. So I'm not able to come on and actually say. Sounds scary. Oh, okay. It was. It was in the. It was in your last yeah. one. So maybe it just was, re yeah. reinvigorate that one. We, we love that. 
We loved it. Um, absolutely. But, you know, but, but you know, I did see just the benefit. And, you know, there's so much research going on in the area. Um, it, it's a terrible shame if that research can't be shared and disseminated and cross-pollinated. You know, it's not just about research coming down. It's about those experiences on the ground influencing well how would you actually use that and in what context would you use that method or or type of teaching and that sort of professional development is is really critical and I, I know uh, working as a psychologist um, it was a requirement of us to get certain amounts of professional development because it was seen as as very valuable um, to the profession so I, I'm I'm in in general a, a passionate believer in uh, professional development so that's cool. <laughs> we are too. <laughs> Your party has a very proud legacy of change in this sector. Um, when back in the Kevin 07 days, um, you went to an election saying that you knew that early education and care was vitally important. Um, you brought in, as a result of that, um, the National Quality Framework, which as gave us many things, but essentially gave us national regulations across the country, a commitment to increase the qualifications of education and care staff, and a commitment to a quality improvement system through the assessment and rating system. Since then, we haven't seen a coherent vision for education and care. What we saw from the Conservative parties was a commitment to do something about how the system was funded, but they've, you know, more or less just hung into the national quality framework because it was there and because it was so adhered to by all the states and territories. Do you think that it's something that that, that, that proud legacy of change is something that you'd like to continue in? Do you think education and care will be a key part of your next, of your party's next platform? Do you have a commitment to the NQF? And I know I probably got about 10 questions in. <laughs> that was a lot of questions. No, but, I mean, I, I reflect on the fact that I was in Parliament when the discussions, and it started with Julia Gillard and Maxine McHugh and then continued on with Julia and, and, and Kate Ellis as well. So there was an... Um, and, look, they that was actually... a. a difficult argument. Um, you would think that it would be an easy argument, but, but Labor actually had opposition from um, the Liberal Party and a, a range of people who um, didn't see education as, you know, part of what we were talking about. So it was a, 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 big, a big change, but something that I have to say I am very proud of and I know now talking to people in the sector, which I've recently had, they said it, it has driven um, so much improvement um, and so met a better, better early education outcomes. So I think sometimes it's great. It's a great question because I think that um, 
often we forget how hard it was. Everyone's on board with the National Quality yeah. Framework now, but it wasn't easy at, at the start. It, it had a lot of opposition. It was going to, it was all it was going to do was drive up cost and not deliver anything. So I think it's it's really important that we remind ourselves of that. I think as time goes by, I mean, I certainly know this and I know that the Labor Party, you know, there's, you know, it, it's a pretty core belief in the Labor Party that education is the big enabler. It's the thing that helps you um, get better outcomes, whether they be social, economic. Education is what's you know really drives you forward and drives a society forward. What we also know is whether most you know most brain development happens, everything happens in that zero to five. Um, I like to think a little bit earlier than zero. It's um, it's sort of, uh, con- you know, after conception to, to sort of five. There's so much stuff happening. So I think for those reasons, it is in the, the Labor Party's DNA to be talking about this early education, early childhood area and for it to be a large part um, of, of our of our. Um, of our future um, because, like you said, we have had a proud history but it also has always been in our DNA to talk about education and, and as, you know, more research comes out we know more about the forming brain and, you know, that kids aren't just not learning anything when they're playing, you know, with other children or playing um, with, you know, we learn that that is, has such a big impact now then I think um, absolutely it's going to be part of Labor's sort of core um, core thoughts going forward. Um, I think also workforce participation, I think it is, it is about both. It, it's not just about workforce participation. It is about early education. But, you know, Labor's also been the party that has been wanting to talk about women, predominantly women, getting the opportunity to go back to work. Um, if they choose, you know, not... Not everyone chooses to go back to work, but to enable that to happen, um, they families need to know that there's good quality childcare and early education services out there. And I think that's um, that's you know that's another reason why it's core to Labor to actually ensure that this is a priority area. Oh, that's that's fantastic to hear that because that's one of the. I mean, I think the point that you're making about it being. Uh, such a positive aspect of of policy that um, Labor pursued because it really is something that Australia should be very proud of. It works probably better in this country than it does in many countries around the world that have chosen not to consider the quality aspect first but to consider affordability first. And they've found that they, you know, are getting into problem areas because the quality is not good enough and they're they're subsidising services that really aren't sort of, I guess, putting putting up that quality that's needed. Um, it's very reassuring to hear you say that. So that we would then assume that maybe ratios for babies would go from one to four to one to three. Oh, well, I can't, I can't <laughs> promise anything at all. Uh, look, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look at that. <laughs> you're re- yeah, you're really, you know, putting... But, but I think, I think um, you know... What we have to do with the quality framework is it, it can't be, you know, a necessary set and forget. Um, you know, things, you know, issues move on, things do move on. So we need, there is a review mechanism built in um, to the framework and we need to make sure that it is it is meeting the needs. It was our first go at a nationally 
consistent framework. Um, so I think, you know, it shouldn't be a set and forget kind of um, aspect. We do need to obviously refine as we learn new things. Um, already I've had a number of um, um, people sort of suggest, you know, some some things that we we can do. Obviously I don't think I'm at, in a one week in the best best place to start um, dictating what those what changes would be. But I think I think the general principle that we should be reviewing it at, at specific points in time after it's embedded is 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 important. I, and there is a review mechanism built in to it to make sure that it, it is meeting the needs of of um, centres of parents um, uh, of educators. You know that that it's working the way we want it to work. And and yeah. most importantly, children, which is Absolutely. exactly who it should work for. So Absolutely. that's that's wonderful. And I think we need to be very proud of this. And I think um, Labor can be very proud of, of something, you know, this amazing quality system that we have. So we're, we're big fans and we, we never want to, um, you know, in terms of the, the quality agenda and we want to constantly push through on that as well. So... So we are coming to a close um, because we don't want to take up too much more of your time. But what, what we would love to ask you is, what are the top three things that you'd like to achieve in the portfolio? No biggie. It's just... Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness and, me. Oh, that's yeah. a, that is a hard one. But look, I, I, I guess, um, you know, I want to make sure that we have a world-class early education system. I mean, ultimately, that's that's what I would like to see. Now, what that means, um, you know, I've got to work through, but I want us to be, be a leader. I think Australia has been a leader, you know, when it comes to Medicare and, and the delivery of health services and a range of other things. And and so I, and I would really, I would want um, to be able to achieve, um, obviously, a lot, a lot of you know, you have to be in government often to um, to achieve these things. Um, I'm hoping that that will happen and be the minister. But look, um, if I get the opportunity to be the minister, I want to, you know, I guess my big goal is to be make sure we've got, um, you know, a world class early education system, and that what we're doing is setting up young people for, you know, primary school, well, for preschool, primary school, and beyond. Um, the best to ensure they're the best that, that they can be. I know that's very, very broad and idealistic, but for me, um, I sort of do see it as if we do make sure we invest and create that great, great, uh, I guess, bedrock at the beginning, then maybe we won't need to spend as much money in intervention services and other things um, later on down the track um, to, to help kids get I mean there'll always be a need for that but maybe we can reduce the, the, the demand for that if we get it right in the early years that's yes. great we, we'll just we'll just hold you to a world class yeah. early childhood world class. I know <laughs> I know it's, it's, a, it's a it's you know it's a, a long-term goal and and these things don't, okay, uh, we'll don't change year. we'll give you a year <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in opposition that's going to be hard <laughs> that's going to be hard but look you know which, you know and at the rate they're, <laughs> they're dropping. That's right. But you've got to have – that is that is true. It might be less than a year. No, no, no. I'm not suggesting that. But it's, it's you know, that long-term um, long vision, I think, is is really, really important. So, And it's an area I'm very – I'm really passionate about. So, 
That's wonderful. I think we'll we'll say that's three things all in one. Is it well? Yeah. <laughs> We're pretty happy with that. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> no worries. Well, thank you very much for having me. And thank you very much for coming. We're sure that yeah. everyone that listens to the podcast will be really interested because there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of good feeling towards Kate Ellison's mm. And so it'll be good to, you know, for them to get to know her replacement. Well, um, I mean, it is great. I mean, Kate did an amazing job and um, I have to say I've, I've known Kate since uh, we were 18 or I think 19, no, 18 years of age. So we, we go back a, a long way to Flinders University. Um, so she's been a great support to me even in these early days. And so I've um, she's, she's offered for me to pick her brains at any time. So I certainly will be doing that. And, um, and yeah, we certainly um, have the same worldview when it comes to um, early education. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Right, we're back. Thanks again to Amanda Rishworth for her time. I think we were uh, probably a bit surprised she was so keen to come on so quickly. And I think um, whether the whether the the barrage of questions you two <laughs> flung at her, she was probably wishing I stepped in at some point. But I kept quiet. <laughs> I think she was fantastic, very knowledgeable, and um, very interested in the sector. An amazing, um, you know, insight into the sector for someone that's just been in the portfolio for a week. So yeah. yeah. Good on her and good, good to know Kate Ellis is on speed dial. Speed. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. A great, I think it's a great succession plan that they've enacted in the Labor Party. That's really <laughs> smart. <laughs> I didn't realise she had a young child. Once again, they've given it to the woman with the young child. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, at least she's got practical experience with the sector. We can look at it that way. Um, I'm yeah. sure, and, and also, and also that she said that she had um, been involved in, you know, observing and and being around the changes as they had happened because she's actually got pretty long term experience as a um, parliamentarian. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing from Amanda on the show again if we haven't scared her off, or if you two haven't scared her off. I was quiet and nice, but um, I'm sure she'll. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be. Uh, I'm sure we'll be having her back at some point. So we're going to move on to another section of the show we haven't done in quite a while, which is the recommendations. So we're going to do them a little bit differently this week. We thought, given Amanda's so new to her role, we thought she would love to get some recommendations from us on some things that might just get her into the headspace of of early childhood education or even just education in general. So these are recommendations, not just for all you lovely listeners, but also for Amanda herself, which I think will be sending her as a homework assignment. So, Lisa, did you want to kick things off with your recommendation? Yeah, I'm beginning to wonder, because she actually made reference to this person, she might have um, read my recommendation, but I'm recommending, which I'm sure I've spoken about on the podcast before, Maxine McHugh's biography, Tales from the Political Trenches. Um, Because Maxine is a journalist, she's written a very clear and understandable account of why the uh, National Quality Forum uh, framework was so important and why we had to improve the qualifications of educators, etc., so I want her to read the, the chapter in Maxine's book that um, talks about that. 
Yeah, great recommendation. It's interesting, like Maxine McHugh was kind of the first uh, parliamentary secretary for early childhood. She, she was. was sort of the that, that was, was the first time that position had reached that level, and then Kate Ellis took over as the minister. So there's sort of a direct connection there between Maxine to Kate Ellis to Amanda herself. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, my one is one that I've been on my recommendation list for quite a while and we just haven't done recommendations. So this one's a month or so old, but it's a report from the Centre for Community Child Health. So if people remember way back at the start of the year, um, I interviewed uh, Professor Frank Oberclade, who heads up uh, that that unit in the, in the Royal Melbourne Children's Hospital. And they've released a really fantastic report um, with a whole bunch of partners, including uh, a RACI, um, uh, Bupa and PwC about the first thousand days as an evidence paper and a report about how important those first one thousand days are for a child, which is about sort of two and a bit years. Um, so, oh, sorry, no, for the period from conception to age two, uh, there's some really look. It is it's quite dense and there's a lot of evidence and research in there, but it's really fantastic. I think for educators to get a sense of uh, the the importance of those first few years, where you know we're, we're sort of always having the debate about preschool and you know three and four year old preschool, but it's interesting that you know all of the research is sort of saying it's actually you know those first two to three years are even probably even more critical in terms of uh, children's long term success and development. So there's some really interesting stuff in there, and I'd recommend even if you don't have the time to look at the full paper, there's a you know a great um, summary document as well, which sort of just um, uh, you know, gives the highlights of those things and gives you some stats to reel off and make you make yourself sound like you're a very important uh, research-based person, which I do pretty regularly. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got, Leanne? Um, well, mine's a little bit sort of off off Australian um, early childhood education. It's probably not even any early childhood education, but it's. I always think it's an exciting day when a libertarian admits that they're wrong, and, and this is the day in this article. And the discussion is about um, school vouchers in the US, and it's basically a libertarian saying, who is all for the market, that markets aren't right for education. And in actual yes. fact... Yeah, in actual fact, they're wrong. Now, the reasons behind that um, are are detailed in this article, and I would say read right to the end because it is a it's it's a really good article, and and they also also give a surprising conclusion at the end, which is um, fun and interesting. But they're saying that parents don't necessarily make choices on quality of education. They make choices on the peer group that their children are going to be around. And this is why, in some ways, the market on education hasn't worked in the US and that the voucher system should should not be in place. So it really is some um, sort of thinking around the market and why it shouldn't be there for education. Yay. Looking forward to reading that one. Yeah, very interesting. Well, thanks for being back with us for another week, Leanne. Lovely to have you back. Ah, look, it's wonderful to be back, and I and um, I know that we're going to give the usual plug for the um, for the live show, and I'm the one that really pushed for this live show. So, people, please get on board. Otherwise, my co-hosts may kill me. No, you just won't get a rose. Am I, am I thing of yeah, is it I don't, I don't think it'll quite come to that, Leanne. 
<laughs> well, hopefully it won't. And, you know, we could do the whole thing and say there's just a few tickets left. But quite frankly, there's enough for everybody. So come on board. <laughs> Great selling. It's a, uh, Leanne, you're taking over as the marketing team for the for the podcast. Good job. But um, until we're back with you next week, it's goodbye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.